This is Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast where a wife and her husband get each other the worst books they can find. For this episode of Bibliovile, Mick read Ken Bruin's Once Were Cops, and I read Forbidden Promises by Katie Roberts. Welcome to Bibliovile. My name is Mick Dickinson. And I'm Susan Dickinson. And we're here to bring you book reports about the worst books we found at the public library. We are back again with a Bibliovile two weeks in a row. It's a nigh, or I suppose two episodes in a row. It's a nigh on miracle. I know. We haven't had two in a row for a while. I know. We've been busy with other things. Other More projects. creative projects. Yeah. But now it's back to basics with some... B2B. Cruddy books about sex that don't make sense. I am guessing we have similar complaints about our books, although mine is wicked out there. Uh, I read Ken Bruin's Once Were Cops. Susan, you read Forbidden Promises by Katie Robert, a book I picked specifically because it looked like it would be Midnight Sins-ish. I actually wrote an entire blog post about how it's the exact same thing as Midnight Sins. Midnight Sinsian. Oh, speaking of that... Um, we are very excited to uh, announce the return of the Bibliovile written book reports because Dickinson had a lot to say on this book and decided uh, he wanted to go back to writing them. And he has a lot of free time because it's uh, summer break now. My blog post is at the moment currently only half written, but it will be all the way written by the time we post this. So, mm. so you can go yeah. online to find that. You can follow us at Bibliovile on Twitter. It'll provide the links. Or if you want to go directly like some sort of dink, you can find it at uh, uh, on bibliovilecast.blogspot.com. I am sorry to report some jerk from Chapel Hill, North Carolina, took bibliovile.blogspot.com and has not submitted a single letter of writing since March of 2006. What a jerk. That's 12 years ago. You think Blogspot would get around to deleting it. Although I shouldn't say that because my last blog post was in March of 2017. So that's only last year. That's very different than 2006. By several years, at least. By eleven of them. Scientists have not agreed on how many years yet, but but mathematicians have. Mathematicians, whatever. (laughs) Um, Something about them doesn't add up. Ha. Anyway, so I got this book for you. Did you know that mathematicians get really secretarian really easily? Because they they find it easy to divide. It was it was better in my head. (laughs) It's Father's Day. I get to make dad jokes. That is not a pregnancy announcement. Oh, no. I'm not a dad. Um, I picked this book out for you, Ken Bruin's Once Were Cops, because the title of it does not make grammatical sense. It should be Once We Were Cops or Once We're Cops, like Once We Are Cops. I could not stop write, reading it as Once We Are Cops, like Once We Will Be. Or, once We Are. Like, yeah. We will future, someday be. And once we are, we're going to oppress people. I kept reading it as like Once We Were Cops, like we used to be cops yes. once. Yes. Once we're cops, like, hey, we, yeah. we once were cops, we're always cops, because here's the weird thing. They're all cops in this book. Even the guy who's not a cop used to be a cop. And the waitress has a cop brother and all that good stuff. So Once were cops. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a lighthearted romp uh, through psychosis and murder uh, and abuses of power. Sounds uh, extremely lighthearted. Yeah. Two or uh, uh, 
man joins the New York Police Department specifically so that he gets to carry a gun and boss people around, and it's labeled as nonfiction. <laughs> hey, or it's labeled. Fuck, I messed that up so bad, Susan. I knew what you meant, so I still laughed at it. Labeled as fiction. Anyway. anyway. Yeah, um, this book is real gross for a lot of different reasons. But you can tell it's supposed to be, uh, like, gritty, and he knows his stuff about being a cap. And it's from the streets, and it shows how it really is. And it's like, I no, it's not. Um, because people just do things, and things happen, and nothing, and nothing makes sense. Especially um, the formatting of this book. I would say if you were to look at it, it looks like a poetry book. It does. I After I picked it out, I had opened it up to flip through it, and the formatting is so weird, which kind of makes sense because you texted me the day that you started reading it, and you were like, I am 80% done with this book this, after reading it for two hours. This book took me less than 200, or 200, took me less than two and a half hours to read, and it is technically 294 pages long. So I'm not that fast. I'm a pretty fast reader. I'm not that fast of a reader. Um, it's mostly blank space. It is mostly blank space, much like Taylor Swift's uh, record collection. I don't know. Uh, because I would say, if I had to estimate, the number of paragraphs that exceed four sentences are in the single digits. Yikes. And um, every single paragraph, no matter how long or short, it has a full, I would say, 2.5 space between them. Yeah, that's a big line break. For example... Uh, we're going to go to the first page, which is just like, oh, no. I was on page two before I was firmly in, like, how did this get made territory? Yeah. Like, I do not understand who would sign off on a thing like this. And apparently this guy has re- won awards. So I'm not sure if this is, like, a, a fart in the wind for this dude and he just, like, messed up what had otherwise been a pretty good record. Or if somehow I am just way off base on what the Edgar and Anthony awards are. He's also, oh, or he was a finalist for the Edgar and Anthony Awards, which sounds like your morning zoo radio show. Uh, and then he won the McCavity Award, a Barry Award, two Seamus Awards, and he's been an English teacher, and he lives now in Ireland. Our main character supposedly is, or supposedly our main character is Irish, and wouldn't you believe it? Ooh, do they write in the accent? Oh, no. I hate it when they write in the accent. Oh, no, and it's worse when they write in an Irish accent. I'm already uncomfy. Yeah, there's a lot of it. Uh, me, like, uh, I can't believe, I couldn't believe me ears Ugh. and the shite and the, all the good stuff. Um, oh, here is no. just page one. I'm going to read this to you. One, two, three. Or I'm going to I'm going to announce the line breaks. Here. Okay. In quotations, where do I begin? Line break. Wasn't that like a song? Line break. And a pretty fucking bad one. Line break. Like my story. Line break. The old chestnut. How did... And how did what started out so good go so freaking bad? Line break. The Yanks wine dot dot dot. Line break. Who you gonna call? Line break. God? Line break. Do me a favor. What? What? Uh, line break. Whatever else. I'm, I'm turning to page two. Whatever else is in this narrative, it ain't him. Line break. Unless he was seriously fucking with us. Line break. Somebody was. Line break. My name is Matthew Patrick O'Shea. Line break. And you're thinking. Line break. Does it come any more Mick? Line break. Not a lot. Line break. Of course, everyone called me Shay. Line break. Has a ring to it. And the first thing I did in America, yeah, Shea Stadium. Line break. Predictable. Line break. Sure. Line break. If only I'd stayed thus. Line break. Yikes. Yikes. Line break. Line break. Yeah. Like, (laughs) um, 
it's I can't even believe this made it into print in a uh, title case serious book because it's one of the, you know how when you were in high school you probably did did you ever write creatively in high school did I ever write creatively creatively I've got a thousand um, thoughts we did a couple of creative writing projects in my English 11 and English comp classes did you ever address the reader and think you were being very clever um, I don't know that I did, but I know that, like, people yeah. did. Yeah. Uh, he does that here, where he's like... Well, like, to be fair, in our defense, we were 11th oh, graders. Yes. Yeah. And this man is apparently an award-nominated writer. I grew up in Galway, the son of a guard, and it was never for debate, but that I'd follow in me old man's heavy shoes, line break. I have this split personality gig going, truly, comma, italics, good cop slash bad cop. Oh, no. Line break. You'll notice the caps there, so you'll know I told you from the off. Oh, no. So the main character has multiple personalities? No, I'm sure that's... he's just a psych- psychopath. Oh, um, no. That's the only time it's written in, like, all caps like that. That doesn't happen for the rest of the time. Uh, very rarely does he he ever actually talk to the, to the audience after that, but still, that's, like, unconscionable. In a yeah. real book. Yeah. Um, it's trying way too hard. I'm going to go back to some of the, the prose and everything because we'll get to the plot later. Uh, it tries way too hard to be gritty and dark. And uh, I looked on Goodreads and this has like a 3.5 review. That's pretty terrible for Goodreads. Yeah, I was going to say. And if you, you know that like anything that Goodreads actually ranks it is probably higher than it should be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so even they were like, "This this is really good." The the prose is brisk and like curt and short, and it's supposed to make it like gritty and everything like that. But what it really does is just make everything seem like it's trying too hard, and then it also allows the person to get away with submitting no actual detail at all. So here is our secondary character, K Bar K E B A R, which K Bar is the name of a of a knife. With brass knuckles on the hilt of it. Like, uh-huh. That is the type of thing. And this author seems to think it's like what Americans call a crowbar. Oh, it's not. Yeah. And so this guy is a cop who goes around with a crowbar up his sleeve. I don't know how he holds it up there all the time. And then yeah. occasionally he'll just slide it out and hit people over the head with it a bunch. And then like assault them and, you know, pretty much you murder know, them. like cops. And do. everyone knows about this and nothing is done about it because he's a good cop. He's a good cop. Well, he's he's clearly not, though, is the thing. He gets results, and so we'll talk about that in a hot second. But uh, he is in deep to the mob, K-Bar is, and uh, uh, because his sister, who is mentally challenged, developmentally disabled, she has the mind of a, a five-year-old, so says the book, and then represents that with all of the taste and uh, Exactly subtlety. how you'd expect, yeah. Yeah. Out on Long Island, it cost a bundle to keep her there. Line break. K-Bar poured every nickel into her upkeep. Line break. He was losing the battle. What battle? What battle? Yeah, you didn't describe it as a battle. You can't yeah. just say he's losing the battle of keeping her. Yeah. And so it tries too hard, and it's stupid, and he's in deep to the mob. Uh, page 60, we get another good thing, and this is probably like eight actual pages worth of stuff. Uh, <laughs> this is back to O'Shea. Uh, Jesus, I turned, blind break, I turned it off the TV, sank back in a chair, lit up the spliff, took a long draw of the miller, hit the radio, a station playing old hits, line break, 
Tainted Love by Soft Cell, I sang along with the chorus, The Weed Chilling Me Way Out. Oh, no. (laughs) So not only is it terrible, but it's terrible and trying to be cool. Yeah. Um... It's really bad. So this, the Irish cop comes to the, the New York Police Department, the NYPD, because it's that's like a cop's, you know, it's like it's where all the cops want to be. Yeah, and so he doesn't like being in the the Irish Guards, which is apparently what they call their police forces, according to this book. Uh, he doesn't even get to carry a gun, so it's like, what's even the point? This is O'Shea, O'Shea. or okay, K. Bar is was is a veteran, a grizzled veteran. When we meet him of the okay. NYPD, so he goes on an exchange program to. NYPD is assigned a gun immediately feels like a big man. Uh, is that a thing that countries just like exchange cops? I, I didn't do the research to find out if it's real. I'm going to assume no. And even if it was a real thing, it was not like a here, here's your gun. You're going to come out on patrol and solve crimes with us. It would be like, here, let's take pictures together and have you hang around. Yeah. You know, whatever. Um, and so O'Shea gets assigned to the NYPD. He gets put on patrol with K-Bar. He's like, I don't like having a partner. I like to do it myself. And uh, O'Shea talks about how he hates dirty cops, and it turns out K-Bar's a dirty cop, but they're going to get along or whatever. And also, O'Shea's a psychopath and murders at least seven women during this, the course of this book. Uh, Wait, our narrator is a psychopath and a murderer? Yeah. You, never, you don't see it, because that would have to involve detail and everything. And it, like, since it has such the brisk and gritty tone, um, it never explains anything. So as we go along, it becomes more obvious that K-Bar's in, de- in debt to the mob because yeah. he needs the pay to whatever his, his sister. And then uh, he wants to get out because O'Shea and him bust this drug dealer. And O'Shea becomes, like, the golden boy of the NYPD because he shoots a guy right away. And he says he does, he, like, popped one, you know, because he shot a guy and he got a boat or whatever because that's real power. And it's like this really gross book, an examination of all the reasons why the police can be awful yeah. and often are, and then does not comment upon that fact at all. Uh. It's just like, that's the way it is. It's like, no, how about that's really bad, and that's what a lot of people hate about it, yeah. is that giving a badge just uh, uh, makes what you say true. Yeah. Oh, that's icky. Yeah, I know. It was written in 2008. Which is 10 years ago, admittedly, but I really, really hope it could not be written today without an editor being like, no, no, you got to do. You can't write this without some type of social commentary. Yeah, and it just has no social commentary. Um, And so then K-Bar is in debt to the mob and O'Shea finds out and he's not happy about it or whatever. But the uh, K-Bar wants to explain why. And so he takes him to the mental hospital. And as soon as he walks in the room, you're like, well... So the person who we have to follow through this book is going to sexually assault and murder a mentally challenged woman. And that's what happens. Oh, we don't have to no. see it, but it, that's what happens. Um, and then K-Bar becomes convinced that it's the mob. And then they're going to go on like a two-man killing spree. Because then the, the O'Shea's girlfriend is murdered by the serial killer, which was O'Shea. Uh, it's O'Shea. We all know it. And it's it's... Everyone in the station knows it too, but they don't arrest him. I don't know, because he's the golden boy. You can't Is touch him. Is it supposed him. to be one of those books where you don't know that the narrator? No, because the narrator's like, I did it. Oh. And no one does anything because it's like he's the golden boy. We can't touch him. He's got dirt. Because like every single person has dirt on them. The police chiefs. There are four of them in this book, and all four of them like underage girls. That's not very. No. Like. And then. Uh, since there's no detail that we have to tell, O'Shea just amasses this, like, 
tentacled mass of power inside the NYPD where he's got cops on his payroll. And it's like, I thought your whole thing was that you hated dirty cops, but now you're How one. long was he in the NYPD? Less than a year. I know. Naturally. Uh-huh. Naturally. This foreign exchange student cop yeah. just takes over the city of New York mm-hmm. in less than a year. Yeah. So about 60% of the way through the book, these guys are going to go on their mob murdering spree, right? Okay. And you're like, well, okay, there's... This is a, a narrative which I can understand and see how this shakes out. And the first place they're going to stop is this addict's house who K-Bar is convinced uh, is the one who assaulted his sister. And so they show up and they just shoot the three people in the house with no, like, hey, you suck or whatever. They just show up and shoot three people. And then K-Bar is like, sprinkle this cocaine around. That'll make it look like a drug deal gone bad. And then O'Shea goes, I'm the one who, like, raped your sister and then shoots him in the head. And that's, that's, it spent a sentence on it. And you can tell that the author was like, yeah, this will be so surprising and so, like, curt and so good and so gritty. It's like, bro, even Ernest Hemingway would be like, you need to describe what has happened. Yes. You need to say, like, his body fell to the floor is the look of surprise still etched on his face or whatever. You can't just be like, Captain, deuces. <laughs> oh, my God. And so then he murders those guys, then pins the uh, the serial killings he's been doing on a member of the mob. He sh- sure is the one who killed his girlfriend. When I thought he killed his girlfriend. Oh, yeah. Or, well, he pinned the murder of his girlfriend on the guy in the mob that okay. threatened him. Yeah, that's okay. what it was. He, okay. he threatened him with blackmail because so that <laughs> the mob boss shows up with a, a envelope of dollar bills, shows up and puts them on the table, and then, like... Puts his arm near the cop, the O'Shea, and is like, smile, and his bodyguard takes a picture, and he's like, now we got dirt on you, it looks like you're accepting dirty money. Yeah, because mob figures go around taking pictures of themselves handing out money all the time. Why wouldn't you just go like, hey, uh, boss, this mob figure just offered me money, I didn't take it, he has a picture of me. Yeah. It's not like, oh, that's hard evidence. Whatever, it's so stupid. But then, so he pins, he's, he's scot-free. Killed the dirty cop partner, uh, whose sister he was convinced is in a coma now. She's not dead. Okay. And put the guy who threatened him away in jail and cleared his name of any wrongdoing because he burned the picture that the guy still had in his apartment for some reason. Then the book just changes to a different person because we still have 40% of the book left. And it's an investigative journalist who used to be a cop who's the brother of the murdered lady who was the girlfriend. And he's putting the pieces together that O'Shea didn't seem... Uh, sad enough about the murder and also there's these other places and then the murders and he's putting it all together and it turns out the internal investigations knows all about all these things and they're going to put him away and so they use the help of the investigative journalist but he's really afraid because he's got all these cops in his pocket and like apparently during the the two months that we broke between halves of the story yeah that's when he makes his little octopus thing and so he's really scared and then it turns out that they're just like hey uh this is the investigative journalist talking to the the psychopath Hey, that lady's waking up. Let's go ask her since she was your partner's sister who did this to her, right? And so then he's like, oh, no, she's waking up. I got to go kill her. And so he goes into the hospital. And and since there's no detail, it's just like, I was in scrubs and even had a stethoscope and had gotten in the building. How did you get those How did you get in the building? Just fine and everything. And so then he shows up and he's preparing to finish the job and murder this lady and then the lights flick on and there's like half of the NYPD and the investigative journalist who was allowed to tag along for some reason. And 
<laughs> one interesting character that I'm going to save for a split second. Uh, and then that interesting character, when he turns around, he goes, I didn't murder your sister. It wasn't me because he can't remember doing it. Uh, the, the internal investigation guy just shoots him eight times. Just kills him. Doesn't even try to arrest him. And the investigative journalist is like, why didn't you try to arrest him? And he's like, well, you really want this to be a press circus? Our golden boy trying to murder somebody? The journalist is like, yeah, I do. That's well, how I earn my money. Well, yes. Not only is he like that, but also you mean to say that there won't be a press circus for hero cop gets gunned down, unarmed hero cop gets gunned yeah. down in the middle of this assault victim's hospital when he's wearing scrub? How did this avoid any, like... Yeah. It got worse, and it just ignores how any circumstances or consequences uh, uh, shake out. The one funny thing about this is that the guy who does the shooting was the internal investigations agent, or like, you know, the the cop. Mm. And he had been the one investigating O'Shea for roughing up informants and everything like that. Because that's what you got to do to get Mm, results. Yeah, of course. Because they're hooked on drugs, so that's bad. You know. Um, Anyway. And so he's been in the book for a while, but every single time he is referred to, it's as one white man, first this guy named McCarthy, and then O'Shea, one white man as the white man's black partner. Every single time it is the black guy or the black partner. Oh, no. Every single time, even up until his very last reference, the black man was chewing on a matchstick and, like, didn't look or whatever. Every single time. Oh, no. And so... It just goes on to a new story, and it... When it goes on to another new story? No, 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 no. Okay. It, halfway through. It just freaking ends. Like, oh, they're going to take this guy down. And then it's like, no, we murdered him. And then this is the epilogue, which I don't think an epilogue should count uh, uh, when it is on the same page. That, oh, I want you to know that from the plan to murder or to go catch this cop to the guy sitting dead on the floor is one two three four four pages yikes and then uh less than a full page of even this text from he was murdered to the end of the book see i feel like most of the time we complain about bibliophile authors who just use too many words and too many adjectives and i feel like we need to borrow some of the adjectives from previous books and put them in this one yeah that would probably be best yeah Although that would make this book longer, and I don't think we That'd really want that either. Yeah. Here, I'm going to read the, the end results and the explanation of okay. why he was murdered. After, as Joe stood outside, the investigative journalist, his ears were still ringing from the gunshots. He was joined by Rodriguez, the black partner. Okay. He stared at the cop, his anger barely controlled, and asked, why did you have to take him out? I'm not doing the line breaks this time. You'll have to imagine that after every single sentence. Rodriguez shook his head and said, you forgot what it's like to be a cop? Joe didn't get it, said, I don't get it. What's that got to do with you wasting him? Rodriguez faced him, his eyes a hard hue, and said, the police department has had enough bad press. You think we wanted Shay in a courtroom, the hero cop, on view to the whole world, best for all if he went down. Joe wanted to wallop him, felt his fist curl, and before he could reply, Rodriguez said, I thought you'd be happy to see your sister's killer by the farm. Joe t- took a deep breath and said, that was an execution. Rodriguez turned to move away, said, no, it was expediency. End of book. Also, immediate beginning of epilogue. Not even a page break. That's not how epilogues work. Yeah, it's it's not even a, like chapter breaks from the same scene get page breaks in this book and an epilogue doesn't. And it turns out that there was another murder using the same M.O. as Shay's. Whoa! 
Wait, we throw that into the epilogue? Yeah, that's the epilogue. And, he, and the, the nurse that was taking care of the sister that the investigative journalist falls in love with extraordinarily quickly uh, is like, Dios mío, you've got to help me. Because she's Latina, which gets mentioned every single time as well. Nice. We have so to mention the, people's races. Yes. This book was A, gross. B, terrible. C, awful. D, the worst. And badly written with too many line breaks. Yes. So at least it was quick. There is that. Yikes. It was expediency. Once were cops. Once. Oh, that it, that gets a flat out, like, that's a dialogue line. <laughs> How? Like, it's what so, is the sentence? He just goes, well, you know, once were cops. No. Yes. He uses that no. as, as if it's a phrase. I don't think I wrote the. Uh, it's not a phrase, though. That's not how the phrase goes. Yeah, I don't. I didn't write down the page where it appears, but it's totally no. like some sort of hot tub time machine. You know, like when a movie no. has to say the title. And it, oh, yeah. that's terrible. It was pretty I bad. Hate that. Ugh. Um. Well, let's leave once we're cops behind us. Yeah. They. It no longer is was cops. <laughs> Let's move on to Forbidden Promises from the O'Malley series by New York Times bestselling author Katie Robert. Who has, uh, uh, oh no, there's just a sticker covering it up. I thought these were two different pictures on the book. Never mind. Mm-hmm. Although our, ma- our main male protagonist does have a man bun. Oh good. Is yeah. he some sort of latte swilling hipster? No, he is oh, a no, I'm gun sorry. for hire. I was going to say, he's got a, a ring on his index finger. That means it's tough. Yeah, he is a gun for hire. Um, Wouldn't you know, he has crazy muscles, he is super in shape, and he has the biggest cock that the protagonist has ever seen. Oh, good. Is the protagonist this guy? Well... (laughs) I've got the biggest cock I've (laughs) ever seen. Probably. Um, Our protagonist, so his name, this this man, his name is Jude McNamara. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. And then our... Uh, female protagonist whose point of view we follow is Sloane O'Malley. What? No, hold on. Isn't that Bare Knuckles? No, that was um, Malone. Malone. Yeah. What was it? Bare Knuckles Malone. Well, I think it could not have been, could not possibly have been Sloane Malone. Sloane no, Malone. it was not. It was, um, it was Marcella. Marcella Bare Knuckles Malone. Who goes by Sella. So she has two nicknames. Marcella, Sella, Bare Knuckles Malone. (laughs) Danger Malone. But but that is a different crime family in the Northeast. I see. Are there shifters in Forbidden Promises? There are not shifters in Forbidden Promises. Dag. I know. Um, This is more of the Midnight Sins and less of the Bare Meets Girl. You were right. Midnight Sins full. Midnight Sins-esque. Sinsish, Sinsian, midnight sinisitude, sinisitude, midnight sinister. Ooh, it is a little sinister. Jude's pretty sinister. Midnight sinister. Um, I knew that this book was going to be off to a good start because I felt like I really got to know the author in the acknowledgement section. Um, she thanks God first and foremost. Who's that to the big man? And then she says, sometimes I figure it's a little weird that I thank God first and foremost in all my dirty books, but I wouldn't have this mind if not for him. So I'm running with it. Okay. Hey, born this way. God, you made me a sex freak. 
And then in Welcome the, to my worship. In the about the author at the end, it talks about how she learned to tell stories on her grandpa's knee. Ooh, better stick to the knee, not the lap. Hopefully not this kind of story. Um, she also talked about how the seed of this book was planted. And I'm like, that's not good word choice for a sex book. I gotta say. Let's not talk about seeds being planted. <laughs> although that does happen later. hey Spoiler. <laughs> so, so this book uh, focuses on Sloane O'Malley. And she is the daughter of a Boston crime lord. Um, she runs away from home because she decides she does not want to be a political pawn anymore. Uh, she uh, runs away to a town called Callaway Rock, which is like a tiny town in Oregon. Are you ready to Callaway Rock? And happens to move into a house next door to a man named Jude, who is seeking vengeance on a related crime lord who killed his entire family. Hey, Jude. Don't bring me down. <laughs> Don't, Don't let, let me it down. out. Don't let me. Don't make it bad. That's what it is. That's one of them, yeah. Yeah, I'm good at words. Um, I know you So, words. Sloane is staying with. There's so many names. I think this is the biggest tie in that I have to Midnight Sins. Is that there do they mess so, them up at all? I think they do. I don't like it's not as egregious as Midnight Sins. Egregious Felbin. But Sloane's family has so many siblings that I think they wound up like interchanging them a couple times. Nice. So her a siblings' classic. names are Kerrigan. That's the last name. Kira. That's uh ninja. Sloane, her. Teague. That's just an Irish word. Killian. Or Cillian? Killian. Killian. Uh Aiden. And Devlin. And she also has a sister-in-law named Callista. Flockhart? Yeah. No, O'Malley. So you got a bunch of uh, Irishisms and then Callista the Greek. And I think the two that we get mixed up are Devlin and Kerrigan. Because we talk about both the Devlin. The and the youngest. We talk about both Devlin and Kerrigan in conjunction with a man named James Holleran. So we talk about Devlin falling in love with him. But then Devlin died? Or he killed her, but now Kerrigan is with Halloran. So I think I think the author mixes up those two at some point. We are definitely not consistent with Devlin and Kerrigan. Okay. The I only don't. thing that we remember is that by the end of the book, we have remembered that Devlin has died. <gasps> oh no! Not in the book. Oh. Like she died before. She has. She has. She been, has. She once has. Once we're been, dead. Once we're dead. <laughs> but so. Um, Sloane runs away with the help of her brother Teague and goes to stay with a woman named Sorsha, who is her sister-in-law, Callista, who's married to Teague's aunt. Sorsha and therefore Callista are part of the Sheridan family who Jude wants to kill. And so... What? Sloane is living in the house of a woman that Jude, who lives next door, wants to kill. And then they bone. My God, I've gone cross-eyed. <laughs> Did Sloane move into, or the the man, Jude, did Jude move into this house with the intention of killing his neighbor? Yes. Okay, good. So it's not just like, a, what? Oh, yeah. shit. I've been researching their, <laughs> their whereabouts for three years. And then all of a sudden I happened upon them. Yeah. So then Sorsha. I've been living next door this whole time. It turns out Sorsha is secretly planning Sorsha, a Sheridan oh family God. coup and is trying to kill Sloane's sister-in-law, Callista, who's pregnant with Sloane's brother Teague's baby. Jude was originally planning to kill Callista because she's a Sheridan, but then he falls in love with Sloane and he finds out that Callista is pregnant, so he decides not to. Sorry, I wasn't listening. I put you on hold music. 
everyone tries to kill each other, and then June and Sloane run away. They have sex one time, and she gets pregnant because the oh, condom breaks. Well, yeah. his cock's just so big. It's it can't so big. It. And it's like... It's a re- regular Romeo and... They get done, and he realizes that the condom is broken, and of course she has... She has been a virgin up until meeting. Isn't she a teenager? No. She's like 24. She's been sheltered. I bet she's super hot. Oh, yeah. She's the hottest woman he's ever seen. And she's a virgin. And she's a virgin. But she's really good at sex. Nice. I'm glad it wasn't awkward like real life. Yeah, like in real life. So this is like a a Rowan and Judiet kind of story. (laughs) Yeah. Definitely. The Montagues and the... Piece of craps. And the O'Malleyettes. Um, Montajudes. The other, like, the thing that bothered me the most, and I think just the thing that I focused on because there were so many things that bothered me, was that she knew, like, immediately that she was pregnant. Which is, like, this whole book, the entire plot happens in the span of about five days. Like, if you actually pay attention to the chronology, the whole thing takes five days. You would not know that you were pregnant five Your days Your body later. wouldn't practically know it was pregnant five days after. No. You can't take a pregnancy test that quick. What, because your hormone levels haven't risen. Yeah. What if you just read this book uh, with a legit narrator, and it's actually an unreliable narrator, and she's just legitimately like a crazy girl. She's like, I must be pregnant. It's her first time having sex. He's really hot. I mean... I would get that if it was, like, yeah, if she was would. just, like, panicking, like, oh, I must be pregnant. But she actually is pregnant. Like, they bring in a doctor and do a blood test, and they're like, yes, you're pregnant. <laughs> it's just a man with all those giant, like, 50s doctor discs on his yep. head. Yes. He's, like, the guy that snuck into the hospital. He's just some yeah. rando in... He's Dr. Spachemin. Yeah. Uh it's from 30 Rock. Uh, but so everyone tries to kill each other, and so they run away. And naturally, Jude has a bunch of money. Sorry, and so he. This character's name is Dr. Spaceman, and it just hit me again how funny that is. <laughs> and he tries to get everyone to call him Spachem. I, I thought you were saying Dr. Like, Specimen, and not Spaceman. No, Spaceman. Dr. Spaceman. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. It just hit me how funny that is. I'm glad. Okay. Um, Back to this nonsensical book. Jude has secret money, so he owns an island, and so they go to the island, but Sloane's brother Teague, who was originally on her side but now isn't because he found out that she was dating a McNamara, he finds them. He tries to kill Jude because he thinks that Jude's going to kill his wife, Callista, and his unborn baby. So he sends in people to ransack the house, kill Jude, and find Sloane, but they escape and they go to another island that Jude owns, and then Kerrigan and James rescue them. Yay! Um, do you know how many anti-Semitic comments are hinted at with Jude owning several uh, islands and having way more wealth than it's hint- than a, you would have you believe? Oh, I know. I didn't think of that. Yeah. And plus, look at his like dark, hairy brows. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, it's anti-Semitic. Um, there's just a lot of things wrong with this. It does not make any mention of whether or not he has a foreskin. So <laughs> there's that. I I would not want it to. Um. And then there's a Russian man named Dmitry Romanov, and why isn't his name just Russian Q. Stalinstein? <laughs> I mean, it kind of is. Basically nothing in... So, like, there's this whole backplot with the murders and the mafia. No, I'm sorry. This is too much And all of plot. this stuff. And none of it gets resolved, like, even a little bit. 
None of it even a little bit get, gets resolved. Or Not even, even a little bit. To, it doesn't even feel like it gets moved forward at all. The only thing that we really wrap up is that Sloane and Jude wind up together and they're going to move to his other hideout in Maine and they're going to have their baby. And then apparently the rest of the plot is all going to continue in the next book, which is about a woman named Charlotte Finch and Sloane's brother Aiden O'Malley. Nice. So, here, so this is the O'Malley series, but yes. the O'Malleys are the interests and not the protagonists. Well, no, the Sloane is the protagonist. I know, that's what I'm saying. It's the, o- the O'Malley series. Yeah. But the O'Malleys are not the protagonists of the O'Malley's series. Well, Sloane is an O'Malley and she's the protagonist. Oh. It's, I, I it's, thought Jude was the, okay. The male, well, I think I did describe him as the protagonist, but the story follows no, no, no. Sloane. I, I thought Jude was the O'Malley. No, Sloan is the O'Malley. Um, the Yikes. other books in the series are called Undercover Attraction. Oh, I know. I... The Marriage Contract, The Wedding Pact, and In- Indecent Proposal. That's already a thing. I know. It's like calling it Remember the Titans. Would you like to hear some other thoughts that I have about this book? Yes. You wanted to say no, not really, didn't you? I might check, my eyes might glaze over again like they did during the plot. So the one thing, like one of the many things is that in every single one of these books, the woman is always tiny. They're always petite and very thin. Gigantic knockers. Yeah. Oh, just smoking hot. But they're always very innocent. Many, many times they are virgins. uh, Despite being 24 and she's never had a drink of alcohol. It's like what it was, it was in the Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah, I, that's probably, like, where that all comes from. Um, one of the sex scenes actually starts with her stripping down and running naked through the woods on one of the islands that he owns. Now we're getting into other world uh, territory. Making that's some him Camille chase shit. after her, and then they fucked in the woods. That's some Camille shit. It right is some there. Camille he's, shit right there. He's Morio. Uh, then there's some, like... This came out of nowhere. Like, I don't even know how to provide context to this because the book didn't provide context to it. But Jude is talking to Russian McRussian man, and (laughs) Russia says to him, you're a McNamara. The O'Malley's might have been just getting started in the game when Colm Sheridan made the move to clear out your family, but the cruelties of your father are well known. You're as bad as a Romanov in their minds, worse in some ways because you might actually have a claim to the power scheme in Boston if you were an ambitious man. And the whole time I'm like, I don't know what any of that means. Like, we, they did not mention that his family was, like, a big crime family. I don't know any connection about the Romanovs to any of these so other people. I'm wondering if this is incidental or intentional, because the Romanovs were the last family of czars in autocratic Russia. And so I'm not I'm not sure if Stalin Q. Uh, Smirnov over there yeah. was uh, like, hey, you're as bad as a czar. Or if there's a family called Romanovs elsewhere in the No, book. he's the Romanov. Dmitry Romanov. That's oh. so he's referencing his own family. What a doofus. Yeah. This is stupid. Yeah. I'm taking a nap. You started talking about like historical context and I was like, I think you're giving way too much credit to Katie Robert here. Um, he says some really gross things because the the male love interests in these books are always really controlling. Like that is supposed to be a really sexy thing. And guess what? It's super not. Um, but he says to Sloane, your right to make decisions without me disappeared the second you may have become pregnant with my child. So basically what he's saying is, you don't have a right to make any decisions for yourself anymore because we had sex one time. Yucca, Um, 
The other like creepy controlling guy is Aiden, who is, who is the Sloan's... love interest of the next book. Yeah, fantastic. He's Sloane's oldest brother. He's in charge of the O'Malley O'Malley family, and he's always talking about how he needs to get his house in order. Which is, like, a really gross, very patriarchal phrase that I don't like. Who needs to get his house in order? Aiden does. Like, he needs Who's to get his... Aiden? No, he's saying that about his family because he oh. needs to get his sisters back under control. Because mm-hmm. Kerrigan ran away and married someone that she wasn't supposed to marry because he had an arranged... He had arranged a marriage with someone else and then Sloane ran away because she hates his guts. It's tough living in a protagonist's house. Um, also, Everyone's here's the thing... Everyone's journeys. Yeah. Here's the thing about... Um, this happens in a lot of these books where the, like, immediately or very quickly into their relationship, the two love interests wind up getting pregnant. And here's the thing, is that if your relationship is entirely based on sex and physical attraction, it might not do a super great job of surviving a pregnancy. Well, you're forgetting they're made for each other. It's destiny. Yeah, clearly. Destiny. And, like, that's going to make him be a good partner and a good dad. You know, even though he's have spent you seen his, his entire wiener? life focused on revenge, and he's a murderous psychopath. Yeah, but what's Midnight Sinzian about it? Um, so everything, everything. So, like, I'm gonna go into way more detail in the blog post, but like the the two characters as archetypes are very Midnight Sinzian, like the very innocent, never mm-hmm. been touched before woman, and like the big scary has a dangerous past, like caught up in some weird murder plot man. Does an um, old man give this guy the finger? No. Damn no it. old men give him the finger. But he is mistrusted around Callaway Rock. and um, Oh, also, she, like, she goes to Callaway Rock and she's, like, really proud of herself that she's pulling her life together and starting to be independent and she gets a job. And then all this happens and she just never goes back. So her employer is probably like, the fuck happened to that girl? Does, did you murder this lady? And that's what they all think because they all think he's a murderer because well, he's is. terrifying. He is. Some sort of blood um, right there. The, like, really complicated family structure and the unnecessarily complicated backstory for a book that is essentially just about two people boning. Um, That's the the pregnancy, because uh, What's-Her-Bucket and Midnight Sins had a miscarriage. Oh, yeah. She got pregnant by Rafer. Rafer Callahan. Um, and then the FBI agent girlfriend. Don't forget about that one. So then here's, an- here, here's another one. So... In this book, like, right towards the very end, we initiate this plot about Charlotte Finch and go way into her backstory and then never mention her again. I think we're introducing her because she's the love interest in the next book. But it reminded me of Midnight Sins where, like, towards the very end, we introduced this plot. And I can't remember what the name was, but it was, like, one of the cousins. And we go way into the backstory about how, like... Her dad and something with it was Anna Corbin was her name. Ah, uh, but no, oh yeah. But her then her dad name, was the serial killer. Yeah, and so like and we she like wasn't related to the other Corbin. Yeah, and so like they like introduced her and gave all of her backstory, and then she never came up again in that book because she was the love interest in a few books later. So that was a very midnight Cinzian as well. The sex scenes were gross. There were a lot of weird power dynamics. Um, there Any was weird fetish stuff. Or was I it think just like just the like hunger. running away outdoor sex was mm-hmm. the closest it came to fetish territory. The the word hunger was only used a handful of times rather than like Constantly. multiple times each page. Yeah. Um, but there were like my essentially my thesis for the blog post is that Katie Roberts 
read Midnight Sins and then was determined to recreate it, but better. It's like if Midnight Sins had an editor. Yeah. The same not terrible a, author. Not a great one, yeah, but, but had an editor. A proofreader at the very yeah. least. Yeah. Um, someone at least attempted to check for consistency. You feel like someone else read this book. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't great. I don't want anyone else after me to read this book. <laughs> Burn it. But it didn't, like, it did not make me uncomfortable with the idea of reading like Midnight Sins <laughs> did. Did anyone ever say, like, man, you guys are out there making some sort of forbidden promises? No, they never threw um, in the title of the book. Um, that was the other thing, too, that was kind of Midnight Sinsy is, like, the whole time they were just talking about, like, how they can't be together because it would kill her. Like, losing him would kill her and he can't put her in danger. And, like, that's what happened in this over book the a lot, too. Days. Is like they were, they were spending a lot of time talking about how they couldn't be together. Yeah. But she's already pregnant. And then at one point towards the end, she, like, feels the baby kick. And I'm like, bitch, your baby is not even the size of a lima bean at this point. It like, is probably 16 cells. <laughs> yeah. You're not feeling anything. You're not even feeling nauseous. I'm worried about Katie Robert because they're about the author pages of a woman. Yes. But she seems to have no understanding of women's reproductive systems well there are a lot of people that don't she also did yeah yeah gross yeah bad yeah it was the sound of me throwing the book i didn't actually throw it i can't lie to you no you did no i did um that is gonna do it for us at biblioval podcasts bibliovalcast.blogspot.com bibliovalcast.blogspot.com is where you can find the blog post that we mentioned uh, you can see my weird sort of stream of consciousness writing juxtaposed against Susan's very thesis-based writing. Uh, it's it's odd. Um, my writing, not Susan's. Uh, or you can follow us on Twitter at Bibliovild. Uh, it posts occasionally when it needs to propone a thing or whatever. Uh, feel free to share with your friends. Susan, what's the kicker on the, the things? Um, our intro music. Our, the intro music to our podcast is Babe of the Night by the band Elixir off of their album Rampant. What's the band's name? Elixir. I don't even know if that's true. It I always, is. I can't do it except in order. Yeah. Um, so that is going to do it for this episode. We will see you next time with something, I'm sure. Uh, it might be delayed question mark because we're going to Europe for two weeks. Uh, so bye, yeah. y'all. Deuces. See ya.